In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. I shall not talk much longer with you, for the prince of this world approaches. John fourteen thirty. Jesus is predicting his death and final act of salvation that will condemn the prince of this world. Who can blame his poor disciples for their confusion? Who is this world prince? What is Jesus talking about? When he says, let us go, where are we really going? Probably not anywhere warm and comfy and safe. They were getting worried. And I'm right there with them. I mentioned to my lovely southern gentleman that John mentions this prince three times in his gospel. He's referring to Satan. We forget too easily, don't we, that Satan does indeed rule the world of unrepentant sinners, the world where people are encouraged to just do it, to make up their own minds about ethics and morals. With his princely lies and manipulations, we're made to feel in control, to have a hand in our circumstances, to not need God, indeed, in some cases, to imagine we are God. I've written in my journal a saying by the American Christian ethicist Paul Ramsey, men ought not to play God before they learn to be men, and after they have learned to be men, they will not play God. We need the help of the advocate whom Jesus promised to send once he'd returned to his father in heaven. And with that in mind today, let's fully turn ourselves to the waiting period of the church calendar, this season of Advent, and look forward to celebrating God's plan to save all of us because we are in the jaws of Satan. Let's go to the manger too and pay homage to the Christ child. Let's rejoice that he had to come as a human son in order to ensure eternal life for all of us. U.A. Fanthorpe in her children's poem BCAD encapsulates the story beautifully. This was the moment when before turned into after, and the future's uninvented timekeepers presented arms. This was the moment when nothing happened, only dull peace sprawled boringly over the earth. This was the moment when even energetic Romans could find nothing better to do than counting heads in remote provinces. And this was the moment when a few farm workers and three members of an obscure Persian sect walked haphazard by starlight, straight into the kingdom of heaven. Care to join me? Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney. My guest today is Steve Richards, a homeschooling dad who will be talking to us about education in England. Highlights from my week will include Christmas in Advent, Right Answers, A Bird Disease, The Power of Water and The End of Term. If you're sitting comfortably and out of the cold with a piece of cake or a mince pie and a hot drink to sip on, I'm ready to bring you an hour of news and views from a small island in the sun. Well, it aspires to be in the sun. 
As I said a moment ago, my guest today is Steve Richards, a founding member of one of the home education groups here in England called Home Service. He's spoken widely on the topic of home education in the United Kingdom and overseas, and both he and his wife Lynn are directors of North Star Worldwide, a community of students and tutors who use the internet to learn and study together. As a couple, they homeschooled their own children, and through their involvement with North Star Worldwide, they're able to offer first-hand support and resources to homeschooling families all over over the world. Steve has had extensive school-based experience, having been a head teacher at several learning institutions, and throughout his career, he's written about the education system in England. Welcome, Steve, and thank you for joining me this afternoon. You're very welcome. It's a pleasure to be with you. Well, good. Um, first off, I just want to um, sort of ask you, because you seem to have been homeschooling quite a long time, what decided you and your wife to start the homeschooling process? Uh, that, that, that's a difficult one in some respects, but it does go back to my time at uh, teaching college when we a- I actually met uh, a postgrad student from the United States, and he had been taught in a Christian school and had come over to the UK to do one year of, uh, of postgrad work. Now, that was the first time I'd ever come across Christians stepping outside of the state system. I mean, I was only a young man. I was 19 or 20. And, and that's what started me thinking about a different path. Um, once I started thinking about Christian schooling, um, during my teaching years, I began to read people like John Holt and, and other quite secular people who were challenging the concept of schooling. And for me, that thinking, alongside the Christian schooling idea, started me reflecting on the whole thing about education. In a sense, I thought, well, if I start with a blank piece of paper, what does formal education look like? Um, And that's really where it all started for us. But you carried on, obviously, and and, um, finished your teaching certification degree and went ahead and taught in schools. Oh, completely, because I was actually, it wasn't, I wasn't a particularly radical person in those days. Um, okay. I mean, my, my feeling was that I would go into teaching. Um, I was captivated by the thought of teaching. And um, certainly in 1979, after doing postgrad work in London, I started teaching in a, in a London secondary school, um, getting married the following year. Um, a year, 18 months later, we had our first child. Uh, and, and I think for me, uh, through all of those years of teaching and so on, um, I was not a particularly radica- radical or innovative thinker. Um, I'd begun to think quite, uh, quite carefully about Christian schooling, but Christian home education was something that was totally alien in the UK at that time. We're talking about the early 70s. And uh, I had never heard of anybody who was, who was home educating or homeschooling then. Um, so for me, the radical cutting edge was Christian schooling. Okay, so when you say Christian schooling, are you, are you saying that you yourself weren't schooled as a Christian? Uh, oh, no, no, no. I mean, I, I, mean, I went to a, a, a conventional primary school in West Wales. I then <laughs> went to a, a conventional grammar school in West Wales. Um, these were... Um, I mean, these were just ordinary state schools, local authority schools. Um, we had one or two Christian teachers. There was a Christian union there. Um, but, the, but the vast majority of teachers um, did not make clear what their worldview was. Um, but the curriculum they taught was, was largely secular. Uh, I mean, it, it left God out almost entirely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so 
when you after you had your first child, did you decide then, or did did you send any of your children to school first? Well, I mean that, that's an interesting one because I think that uh, I mean the biggest the biggest thing that changed me as a teacher was actually having my own children. Um, maybe it's because I'm a bit of a slow learner, but actually when I had my first when we had our first child, the penny dropped and I realised that all these children who were sitting in front of me were somebody else's children. Mm-hmm. And my view of children changed fundamentally once I had my once we had our first children. Mm-hmm. But when we reached the age of four or five, uh, and we were looking for a, for somewhere for Sarah to go to school, um, we began to think then in terms of starting a Christian school. Uh, and by this stage, we'd moved to uh, to Sheffield, which is a city 160 miles north of London. Um, there was no Christian school here, so I pulled a group of parents together and we started planning to establish a Christian school and uh, our uh, our eldest daughter the plan was she would go she would go to that Christian school when she was ready but this is the key thing the school wasn't wasn't in place when Sarah reached the age of 5 so therefore we started home educating Sarah um, with a view to her going to the Christian school the following year mm. now this was really the radical thing for us. Uh, my wife thoroughly enjoyed home educating Sarah. I mean, we had when she was when Sarah was five, we had two other uh, little girls as well who were younger than that. So it was a very busy home, very demanding, um, quite challenging in many respects. But she absolutely loved educating Sarah and having the girls, all three of the girls around her. By the end of the first year. We were then ready to start the Christian school, and we set up the Christian school. I left my position as a, as, as the senior master at a at a, a large independent school in Sheffield to become the senior teacher with this small school for the first year. Um, and the plan was, we felt now that we've set up the school, um, home education will disappear into the background because we felt that we were responding fully to what God was calling us to do. Within six months. God had turned that on its head. And it's very interesting. I, I was praying um, sometime in the February or the March. School had started in the September. And, and I really had a sense that the Lord was calling me to leave the school. Not because the school was doing a bad thing, but because I'd done my job in helping to establish the school. And what the Lord was calling us to do as a family was to minister to home educating families. Now, at the time, this was mid, mid-80s in, in the UK. The number of Christians who were homeschooling in, in the UK at that time was tiny. You, could, you, know, you would need to travel probably 40 or 50 miles to, to meet your next homeschooling family. Um, and I can remember saying to the Lord, Lord, if I suggest this to my wife, She's going to have a fit. We've just done this radical step of starting the Christian school. I don't think she's ready to make this next step of going fully into home education and seeing this as our ministry. And I actually said to the Lord, Lord, if this is your will on this matter, then when we have a discussion about this, I want Lynn, my wife, to raise this as a matter. Now, some might think that was a wimpy husband bottling out of the discussion. Um, (laughs) I would like to think it wasn't, but it might have been. But, you know, the Lord was gracious. And, and, and we, were, we were visiting my parents, and, and we went for a walk, left the children to my parents, and we went for a walk. And it was then that she said to me, Steve, I'm not sure our future is in the school. 
I think that I want to go back to educating our girls at home. And in fact, I think that's what the Lord's calling us to do. Now, you can imagine my reaction to that. Um, we were strolling around, and, I, and I could, you could have knocked me down uh, you know, with a feather, as we say. I was absolutely dumbstruck, but also overwhelmed by just how gracious God was in that mm. situation. Mm. Well, Steve... Hang on, we need to go on a very short break, about 90 seconds. And on that, I would say, well, I would hope you were knocked to your knees <laughs> in thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Are you there? You yes, I am. Yes, yeah. yes, no, the music hasn't started yet. I just didn't want you to go on because we're getting ready. We have a couple of seconds and the music is going. But um... All right. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lippman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With Baby and Toddler Instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lippman on toginet.com. Ministry is filled with both highs and lows, victories and struggles. It can be the best job of the world, but it can also be the hardest. Where do you find the balance between serving God and the joy of truly knowing Him? Wellspring, tending the heart of ministry with Joanna Weaver. Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Central. Join us each week as pastor's wife, best-selling author, and host Joanna Weaver interviews women who serve God from the heart, both those who are well-known and those who minister in less visible ways. You'll discover tools for the ministry, but more importantly, you'll learn how to give God access to the deep places in your heart. For ministry is more than what we just do in public. It is who we are in private. Wellspring is here to inspire you to look into your heart of hearts and invest in the place ministry truly begins. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So join us for an hour that just might change your life. It's Wellspring, tending the heart of ministry with host Joanna Weaver. Thursday afternoons at 5 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, um, you brought your children or your child home, and um, that's thus started your homeschooling um, career with your girls. And what did you go ahead and do? You, did you leave the school? Yeah, well, yes. I mean, I, I felt that as, as somebody who was committed by this stage, I mean, we were very clear 
we were committed to, to home education as a model uh, and as God's ideal. Um, I didn't feel it was appropriate that I could hold a senior management position in a, in a school after that. Um, and, and I just became a supply teacher. Uh, I just took on uh, day-to-day work in local schools, and, and, and we managed to do that. We were very blessed because my wife was a, was a nurse by training. So I worked um, part-time, and she was able to get some part-time work, and we could share the homeschooling as well. Um, that, that, was, that was a massive blessing for us as a, as a couple and as a family. So the reason, so did you think it was being... Um hypocritical to homeschool you know your children and then have a full-time position in a school why why did you not want to do that or did you want to participate in the homeschooling it wasn't so much a full-time position in the school i think that the difficulty for me was that i didn't feel in all conscience that i could hold a senior management position in the school whilst believing that school as a model um, was a, a significantly inferior okay. model to homeschooling. I mean, that, that, right. that's really what it came down to for me. I, I, in some respect, I've, I've mellowed over the years, um, mm-hmm. and I don't think I was, uh, you know, I don't think I was wrong to do what I did back then. But I, I'm not sure that I would, uh, I would bang this drum with the same gusto as I did back then. Mm. And um, you know, talking about Christian schools and the lack of, of um, Christian schools in this country, mm-hmm. you, you know. I think my listeners might get the impression that Britain is a very pagan, secular country, and in some cases it may be, but there are Christian schools, there are parochial schools, I don't know what you call them, the Catholic schools, and there are the Church of England schools. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, the... the, 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 the the, the formal educational scene in the UK is 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 multi-layered and and, and very complex. Um, we we have the historic church schools like the Catholic schools, the Church of England schools, Methodist schools, and so on, and, and they are funded by government. Um, uh, and there's a si- significant minority of children attend those schools. Um, the reality is, though, uh, I mean, it, it, you know, and I can remember having discussions with colleagues about this. The reality is that that they those schools follow our national curriculum in exactly the same way as the as the local schools do, the government funded schools. Um, they 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 will employ. Uh, some Christian teachers, some non-Christian teachers. Um, uh, even their senior management team may not necessarily be, um, be be Christians. So you'd have to ask the question: the extent to which those schools are entirely Christian. Um, having said that, um, often the ethos in those schools is far better than the ethos in in many of the secular schools. On top of that, over the last 20 or 30 years, I mean, we've seen a rise of of new Christian schools um, started often by parents and churches, um, and and they are much more conspicuously Christian. All of their their faculty will be Christians. um, Their senior staff will be Christians. Some will only draw students from Christian families, and some will draw students from a wider community. And finally, on top of that, um, we've seen some quite innovative changes um, from the, the new government that we've had in place over the last two years, um, setting up the, 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 the mechanisms to create what are called free schools. Now, free schools are government-funded schools in the sense that the government puts money in, but free schools can be set up by parents or teachers or any other group but they cannot be set up for profit. And and these free schools do not have to follow the national curriculum. So, to my mind, we have a a once-in-a-generation opportunity in the UK at the minute for Christians to establish schools that can be radically different 
and take on a very different shape, a different ethos, and an opportunity for us not simply to provide education for the children of Christians, but also to do something which historically the churches in this country have done very, very well, actually deliver um, a good quality education underpinned by a Christian worldview to children who's, who's, who never darken the doors of a church. Right. That was very interesting what you said about these um, historical, um, his, you know, historical church schools still being funded by the government and having to follow the national curriculum. I, I, had, I didn't realize that because our church schools in America are independent, uh, you know, they're, they're private schools, so they can do whatever they want to do. Yeah. 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 And so you're saying that these free schools, the first this is the first time that um, Britain has seen the kinds of schools where although there is some government funding, they can follow their own curriculum. They don't have to do a state curriculum. Well, that's right. I mean, it's interesting. See, the independent sector, uh, I mean, we have a sizable number of independent schools here, which historically have not been linked in with the government at all. Um, as the national curriculum has become more pervasive um, since 1988 when it was introduced, more and more independent schools in the UK have embraced the national curriculum. And, and actually, traditionally, traditionally, over the last 20 or 30 years, it would have been very difficult for them not to have embraced it, because the, even independent schools in the UK now have to be government-inspected. And the further you deviate from the national curriculum, the more likely it is that these government inspectors will criticise you. So this free school movement is a very radical, a very innovative step, because for the first time the government is saying there's more than one way to educate children. They do not have to follow the national curriculum. Uh, and that's blown the national curriculum out of the water in terms of the, this monolithic uh, single-minded in, institutional way of delivering education, which which has plagued us since 1988. So these free schools, are they um, just Christian schools, or are they, say, all kinds, in any kind of school? But, well, they're all kinds. I mean, we, we mm. have, okay. um, you know, we have... We have Groups of people setting up schools who have a particular enthusiasm for, for arts and the media. Uh, I mean, we have other faith communities setting up schools. Um, to be frank, the number of Christians who have set up schools so far is very, very small. Uh, I mean, the Christian church in the UK, I think, is very slow to grasp this opportunity. Um, and that's partly because many, many Christian churches in the UK do not see the problem with the overtly secularized education system that we have here. Mm. Mm. And um, so we're talking about national curriculum because, I mean, I went to school here, but I went to school here many, many years ago and I was a child and I really didn't live. None of this meant anything to me. I just got through my school and got my qualifications. So talking to other people here, getting into college, you still have to have your GCSEs and your A-levels. Is, is there any other way to get into college? There are other ways, yes. Um, I mean, we, we know of home educators who have developed a portfolio of evidence that demonstrates what the child is capable of doing. Um, that has got them into, into college. Um, it, it, it depends really on uh, what the child wishes to study. Um, and, and it depends really on just how um, proactive and innovative parents and children are. What one has to say is, in the subject areas where there is huge demand at university, um, veterinary science, medicine, law, um, for example, um, the further you deviate away from the GCSE A-level norm, the more problematic it will be for you mm -hmm. to get in. Um, 
But having said all of that, I mean, the British system does have enormous flexibility built into it. Um, and often, if you can get to the university and you can convince the people there that you are the sort of person that they're after, um, then often, sometimes at least, they make exceptions. Um, you know, there, there, there are ways of doing it. But the bottom line is, the further you deviate from the norm, the more challenging it, it, the situation is going to be in terms of accessing university for those high demand subjects. So now you're homeschooling and you're obviously pro homeschooling for all parents because you, you you say that it's a superior. Well, you said that it was a, a superior form of schooling to the traditional schools that we go to. And you, you say that you, you know, you've kind of mellowed in that thinking a little more now. But um, as far as all parents go, do you think that homeschooling is the answer or are there some parents who really should not be homeschooling their children? Um, that, that's a, that is a superb question, to be honest. Um, I, I hesitate to, to say that some parents shouldn't be, because I do believe that um, all parents, and I literally genuinely mean all parents, all parents um, are given the God-given ability to educate their children. Um, and in fact, one, one, one only has to look at how children are raised in the first two or three or four or five years to, to see that all parents are teaching children something. Um, now, whether there are some parents who are totally incapable of educating their children beyond the age of five, um, something within me resists that. But you see, I, I don't like the, 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 the sort of dichotomy between home education or home, homeschooling on the one hand uh, on the one hand, and schooling as a model on the other hand. I actually think what's needed for the 21st century is, is a radical rethink of schooling as an institution. Um, uh, the idea of flexi-schooling and the idea of parents dipping into learning centres to support them and to enable them to, to teach their children, but also to, to, to use professionals and experts when they need to, I think that's a much richer model than simply school or home and near the twain, twain should meet. Mm. Mm. And um, how is the homeschooling movement here in, in England? You, you say, I, mean, I think it's secular. Everywhere I look, it's extremely secular. There's not a large um, Christian group. So what would you say? I, I think that unlike um, many other countries where homeschooling has grown, um, the, the UK is unusual in that... Um, the, the secular home educators outnumber the Christian home educators in the UK mm. quite significantly. Mm. Um, I, I think as well that there are large numbers of Christian home educators, but I think that, again, one of the difficulties there's been over the last 10 years, um, perhaps even more than that, is that there, we've struggled to establish a, a notion of community or movement within the home educating, the Christian home educating community. Um, mm. I think that our differences have come to the fore far more than they may have done in other parts of the world. So that those with a, a reformed theology, for example, are uncomfortable mixing with those with a charismatic theology. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, that I find it, you know, to be absolutely tragic um, because in the end we're not setting up churches, we're simply supporting one another. And, and, and whether... Um, one has a particular view of the Holy Spirit or a particular perspective on, um, you know, the, the cessation of the gifts of the Spirit or whatever, actually, I think, is, is an utter nonsense. It doesn't matter. It shouldn't matter. Um, but okay, as we're, going, 
we're going on another break. Thank you. <laughs> How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Evermore, people have the means to live, but no meaning to live for. These are the words of Dr. Viktor Frankl, the inspiration for the movie Victor and I. That's V-I-K-T-O-R and I, movie.com. And TalkSense Radio, The Meaning Connection. With host Mary Similuka and frequent contributor Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central on Toginet.com. More and more people today are discarding their quest for money, possessions, and things. And are instead beginning a serious quest to find meaning in life. Until now, these discussions were historically in the hands of priests, ministers, and scribes. Then to philosophers, psychiatrists, and psychologists. Now... These deep discussions are where they should be, in the hands of individuals, on the air, with you. Talk Sense Radio, The Meaning Connection, with your host, Mary Similuka, and frequent contributor, Alexander Vesley. Friday afternoons at 3, 2 central, on toginet.com. Booyah! That's the word uttered when you know you have the upper hand, or you're the winner. Well, now, we have the Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Brassi. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Martin's show is all about helping speakers and authors find their niche, create their brand, and achieve massive success. Each week, Martin will interview guests from around the world who have achieved tremendous success as speakers and authors. You'll find out who they are, what they do, and how you can follow in their footsteps to achieve incredible results. Guests will come from around the world of business, entertainment, finance, the arts, and sciences. Nothing is off topic. No subject too taboo. We'll share valuable information as well as huge laughs as we discover the ups and downs of being a successful speaker and author. The Booyah Radio Hour with Martin Pressey. Tuesdays at 9, 8 central on Togedat.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. I'm going to take this quick opportunity to remind my listeners that I'm talking with Steve Richards. I think we've gone quite a long time without anybody really knowing who it is I'm having this scintillating conversation with. So Steve Richards is founding member of one of the home education groups here in England called Home Service, and we're talking about um, homeschooling in England. And so a family has decided that they would like to homeschool their children. What do they have to do to stay above, you know, to stay sort of, I don't know, whatever, so that they're not inspected or hounded or <clears throat> gone after? Uh, well, the, the, the truth of the matter is they don't actually have to do anything. Um, okay. the, the legal position in the UK is the most generous uh, legal, legal framework for home educators possibly in the world in that um, they don't, home educators do not have to notify the local authority that they intend to home educate. 
unless they are withdrawing children from a local authority school, in which case they obviously do have to ask for the child to be withdrawn. But let's say we've got a, a family with a, with a little five-year-old. She's, you know, she's going, to, they're going to start home educating her. They don't need to do anything. The legal position is that the local authority has to find them. Um, which I think is a, is a wonderfully British way of looking at it. Um, yes. So that's, that's the legal position. They don't have to notify them. Now, within the Home Service, historically, we've, we've always taken the view that actually it's probably not a bad thing to tell the local authority that you're going to home educate because it's quite legal. Um, there's, there's no, uh, you know, there are no serious legal threats that you need to be particularly troubled about. And the chances are that the local authority are going to find out about you sometime or other. Now, do you want to tell them, or do, they, do you want them to find out because of a health visitor or because of a, of a nosy neighbour or whatever? Mm. Um, mm. So, in the end, it's for the family to decide, but uh, it might be a good idea to tell the local authority. All right. And you've started, you mentioned home service, and you started a homeschool um, group called Home Service here in England. Um, tell us a little bit about that and how you got that started. Uh, well, it wasn't me on my own. I mean, there were a number of us who, who got involved in the in the early 90s. Uh, we organised a, a couple of conferences. Uh, my wife and I organised the first few national conferences, and then Home Service took them on. Um, and the idea was really that we knew in the early 90s that there were growing numbers of Christians who were interested in home education. Um, and but we knew that they were pretty fragmented. They were they were spread out, um, and they. Uh, rarely had opportunity to meet. Of course, we need to remember that in the early 90s, this was pre-internet, um, mm -hmm. and therefore, if you wanted to order books from the US, for example, you telephoned or you wrote or you might, might have possibly sent a fax. If you mm -hmm. wanted to have a conversation with, with home educating friends, you telephoned or you actually travelled. Um, Therefore, people did feel very isolated, um, and, and therefore Home Service was set up to, to provide a support uh, for these families, and also to prod and to, to encourage Christian leaders to reflect on, on these matters. Right. And um, I have looked through some of your blogs that you've been writing over the last few years, and I came across um, something that you said that might stir up administrators. You, you, you've said uh, home educators do not need schools, they do not need trained teachers, and they do not need the state. And while I agree with you that this is true, I, I'm sure it gets the hackles of some of these lawmakers and some uh, some administrators up. Um, so why? why? Why does the government seem to sort of react so negatively towards homeschoolers? Uh, well, I, I think that, um, I think governments never like situations where they're not in control and where they don't know. Mm. Um, and it's very interesting, if you look at Hansard, which is our record of questions and debates in Parliament, um, over the last five or six years, um, with increasing frequency and regularity. Members of Parliament have asked the various education ministers how many children are being home educated in the UK? And of course the answer to that is he doesn't know and the reason he doesn't know is because the government isn't obliged to, we aren't obliged to notify them and therefore nobody knows. Now the reason that question keeps being asked isn't because members of Parliament are, um, have short memories or they're thick, it's because they're trying to prod the government to change the legislation so that they will be able to answer that question. And the only way they can answer that question, of course, is by regulation, is by telling all home educators, you must register with the local authority. 
Now, in some respects, registration, I don't, have a, I, I don't feel strongly uh, one way or the other about registration. What I do feel strongly about is what this recent uh, legislation was trying to do in the UK, which was actually introducing law which said parents needed to ask the local authorities permission. And to me, that's fundamentally different. And that represents a massive change in, in where the authority for raising children resides. Um, if I have to notify my local authority, then, then I, I'm willing to do it. What I'm not willing to do is to go cap in hand to my local authority and say, please, miss, may I educate my children? Um, you know, how dare they say that I, that I need to do that? Um, but in the end, the reason is the government doesn't know. And in the early days, in the, in the 80s, when the numbers of home-educated children was tiny, it wasn't in anybody's particular interest to throw any resources into finding out. But over the last 10 years particularly, the numbers of home-educators has grown enormously. Um, nobody knows how many, but we're probably talking something, something between 50 and 100,000 children in the UK. Now, that's a sizable number of children for the government not to know about. Um, and, and as I say, governments don't like not knowing. I think that's what it comes down to. Right. But it has, so does it have anything to do perhaps with the entrepreneurial spirit of the children or the parents that you know that we encourage i mean we encourage our uniqueness we encourage our children to think outside the box to think for themselves um to go search out uh, for resources not to be spoon fed surely those are good um assets but i i feel that the government sometimes thinks no everybody has to learn the same thing we need to you know sort of uniformly educate everyone the same way that's the, that's the absolute rub, Vivian. That's the point. Um, if you compare what has gone on over the last 20 years in our schools with what goes on in a typical home-educating family, the differences are so stark and are so overwhelming. I mean, you describe them perfectly there. Um, we have children who are being encouraged to become independent learners. When they are interested in the subject, they will go and research it. They'll go and find out about it. We, live in an, we, we actually live in an age where the traditional role of the teacher as an imparter of knowledge is utterly redundant. Now, that does, that's not in any way meaning to offend teachers, because I actually think that the new roles for teachers are much more innovative, much more creative, in that a teacher can be a facilitator and an enabler. But that idea of the teacher standing at the front of the class imparting knowledge why would you ever want to do that in, in a multimedia internet age um, mm -hmm. when you can actually use your phone to acquire more reliable data than you can asking a teacher? <laughs> now, you compare that with what goes on in our schools. And I've often said, if you were to bring somebody from the 19th century into our society now, at the beginning of the 21st century, much of our society would be unrecognisable to them. But the one place they'd feel at home is school. Because what goes on in school now is so very similar to what went on at the end of the 19th century. An adult standing at the front of the class and delivering lessons. Mm -hmm. Now, the, the class size is smaller, but essentially it's much the same. Now, we live in an age where children are using PlayStations and uh, looking at multimedia resources and are you know, engaging with even things like immersive virtual reality. They can learn in so many different ways, and yet when they go to school, they do it in the same way as a Victorian teacher did it. That cannot be right, but that's why 
the government feels when they look at home education, they are threatened by it. We are the last bastion of innovation and radicalness in the education system in the UK. That's the point. Um, and when you look at the results of some of um, the schools out on the streets today, I, I think, well, the schools aren't even doing a good job at Literally. I mean, even, the way they're doing it, even by their, the, their own measures. And, you know, I'm not one to buy into, um, you know, GCSE results and A-level results being the measure of the educated person. That's nonsense, palpable nonsense. But that's what the, that system measures success by. And even by that measure, only 50 percent or thereabouts of children are getting GCSE English and maths after 11 years of formal education. Something has to be wrong there. Um, mm -hmm. it, you know, it's not because children are born stupid. Uh, far from it. I mean, I worked with special needs children, and many of those children were profoundly gifted. It's just that they were square pegs being shoved into round holes. Mm -hmm. No, I think the children are bored at school. I, I would be if I had a teacher just spouting information at me and I wasn't allowed to go and find, you know, and research and discover my own ideas. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And you look at many, about, many British you know, young entrepreneurs, and they were people who did not have a successful school career because they didn't fit into that particular mould. They reacted to what was being imparted to them. Mm -hmm. Well, what can we do um, as homeschoolers ourselves to ensure that homeschooling is an option for any parent who wants to go that route and, and be supported by um, people around them and not have the government come in and say, no, this is proving to be too threatening, we're going to stop, we're going to put all these restrictions on and just make it so difficult that it's just nothing that anybody would, would decide to do. Well, I, I, think, I think we've got a, a, a with, with, the current, with the current government, I think we have a period of time where they're unlikely to revisit home education, um, I suspect, during this parliament. Um, even though the, there was a recent Times Education Supplement article which was vindictively anti-home education, um, I think this government is unlikely to revisit it uh, for, for, for the time being. But I think that the, the desperate need is for Christian home educators, firstly, to be utterly unapologetic about their choice of home education. I don't want us strutting around boasting and arrogant, because that will offend people. But neither should we actually sheepishly go around explaining why we've chosen to home educate. Um, mm. Parents who send their children to school do not feel the need to explain why they've done that. They don't feel apologetic. They don't feel timid about it. So why should we? Mm. Secondly, I think we need to... Um, be talking to our church leaders and prodding them out of their sort of slightly cowardly slumber uh, to provoke them to speak about this, to be prepared to come in and see what our children are like. Um, often, um, home-educated children are the best-behaved children in the church. Often they're the ones who are hitting, when they're hitting the teenage years, are beginning to take roles of responsibility in the church. Now, we need to convince church leaders that, uh, that, that it's home How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the Million Dollar Mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the Million Dollar Mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Parents, if you feel overloaded, overworked, underappreciated, and seriously stressed out, The Parents Plate is here to help you. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet. It's time to build stronger families through parent empowerment. And that's what The Parents Plate does. The Parents Plate understands the busyness of life and balancing child rearing and other commitments. Brenda Nixon will be talking to noted experts and authors on all issues, from teething to teen driving. Brenda Nixon is a nationally recognized speaker to parents and child care professionals and author of the award-winning The Birth to Five book. From Fox 4 in Kansas City to schools and synagogues to businesses to bookstores, conferences to churches, audiences rave that Brenda engages, educates, and encourages. For more information on Brenda and her books, check out her website, brendanixon.com. The Parents Plate is loaded with information and affirmation. The Parents Plate with Brenda Nixon. Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. So, Steve, we just need to wrap up our conversation here. So if you could um, just go over just once again those two points of how, um, as homeschoolers, we can help to, you know, sort of keep it a, a, a future option, a valid future option for our children. Yeah. I, I mean, firstly, we need to be unapologetic about our choice of, of uh, educational options for our children. Um, we, we need to be confident um, in, in our decision to home educate. And secondly, we need to convince our church leaders that the reason that our children are the way they are um, is because of our decision to home educate. Um, unapologetic, be positive, be confident, um, and, and just get out there and, and, and show our Christian brothers and sisters, that this is a a viable option for them. Absolutely. Be a witness to homeschooling. Absolutely. Well, I've been talking with Steve Richards, a founding member of one of the home education groups here in England called Home Service. He's spoken widely on the topic of home education in the United Kingdom and overseas. Both he and his wife, Lynn, are directors of North Star Worldwide, a community of learners and tutors who use the Internet to study together. As a couple, they homeschooled their own children and are able to offer this first-hand support and resources to homeschooling families all over the world. If you go to the website, www.northstarworldwide.com, worldwide.com you can find out more about this wonderful um, service that they offer thank you Steve for joining me today I thoroughly enjoyed our little chat and you've got to come back and talk to us about your North Star Worldwide endeavor oh, that would be my pleasure 
Well, we'll do that next year. So you have a safe weekend and have a blessed holy season. Thank you. And you as well, Vivian. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, oops. I've been um, sitting on a really hard chair at my desk. We don't have any office chairs here in this house, but we have to sit on these pine chairs, my husband and I, my blue-eyed cowboy and I, um, to do our work. And my back just creaks and groans like crazy. And I went to the cupboard the other day and it had run out of ibuprofen. Not that I take that much, but I really needed something. So I decided to drink a cup of water. I don't know where that came from out of the blue. And 30 minutes later, I noticed a difference. So I drank another cupful. I shouldn't be surprised that the simple, inexpensive, non-irritant, non-allergenic addition of water to my body should make such a difference. I realised that I've been remiss at rehydrating myself since arriving in London, mostly because it doesn't get hot enough here to remind me like it does home on the range. But also, when I go out and about on the town, I don't want to be hampered by having to reach, uh, search out convenient toilets along the way. And regardless of increased pit stops, I've now resumed my water intake. And I tell you, I feel so much better for it. And today was my dancer daughter's last day of her first term at her college. The whole last two weeks have been dedicated to assessments, so the routine's been a little different. And there have been a few guest teachers to give classes, which has made it more interesting and fun for her. And she's pulled a muscle in her hip, or she's sprained her hip, which affects her movement greatly. But with her inherited stiff upper lip, don't know where she got that from, she's braved the pain and carried on regardless. And um, she's been prescribed a deep massage that'd be nice which may help but I think the rest over the Christmas break and some good stretches with yoga may do a lot to get her back into shape and I mustn't forget to tell her the water trick too in one of her classes she was telling me the instructor told them that each student is characterized when they first start the college as either a dancer a singer or an actor obviously Malia is a dancer but the instructor asked the class how they felt when they were told you're not a singer or you're not a dancer and the students vary answered that they felt discouraged or they wouldn't try or they believed them and just blow that class off that they weren't supposed to be good at. Except for my homeschooled outspoken daughter who said, oh, it would make me try harder and want to prove them wrong. Right answer. Her previous teacher had commented on her um, her singing class that she had brought every single one of his corrections from the time before to class and implemented them in the song that she was singing and he was really impressed so she tries really hard because she's wanting to learn all that she can this year so consequently not only is she a dancer she is the best singer in her year so that just shows, goes to show doesn't it not the socks off anyone who tries to typecast you you can also she can also act, which was another performing skill she thought she lacked. With school over for the year, she's working this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, or she actually worked today as well, and Monday and Tuesday, five days in a row. Then she's coming home with some of the clothes she wants to take away with her, and she'll be spending a few days with us before going back for one more weekend shift before Christmas. Then... On the 27th of December, which is the day after Boxing Day, or at least that's what she thought, she's flying to Dallas. 
This year, the holidays are convoluted because Christmas is once again at the weekend, Sunday. So Monday is the observed Christmas day and Tuesday is the observed Boxing Day. So when she booked her flight, she just took into consideration the real Boxing Day, which was Monday. But now it turns out that she's flying on the observed Boxing Day. Gosh, it gets so complicated, doesn't it? Anyway, her flight is later in the morning, so we won't have to worry about whether the trains are up and running because it's a holiday. So we are going to be enjoying her company next week, one day at a time. And to say she's excited is a total understatement. Well, last Tuesday evening, we went to Mass as usual at 7.30. And this service takes place in what is known as the Lady Chapel and usually has five or six people in attendance, the same five or six. Sometimes if we arrive a little early, we're alone in the chapel and we wonder if anybody else is going to show up and whether we'll stand or sit at the right times as if it would matter. And eventually the other few do drift in. But I feel as though I'm in a monastery offering up prayers before retiring to my cell. Prayers for the world, those on the streets around us, those unloved or unwanted in the city. I have no compulsion on this night to pray for my selfish wants. I feel led to offer up my positive thoughts, my prayers to the higher being, God. Imagine our surprise this Tuesday evening when, as we were walking towards our service, we noticed dozens of boys neatly dressed in their maroon uniform blazers and long grey trousers flowing from the gates of a school opposite the church. They were guided by teachers and made their ways quickly through the lich gate into our churchyard. Oh, they're coming to our church, said my Texan. And they were. In through a back door, they streamed. We were greeted at the church door by two young men offering programs and another two ushers who tried to find seats in the sanctuary, which I'd never seen so full. We ended up standing at the very back and were quickly joined by the others who had just arrived on the prompt side of late. Our ushers found us as the half hour was being struck and we were led to two chairs at the end of a pew behind a pillar. We could see nothing of what was going on in the choir stalls, but that didn't stop us from hearing the music that floated through the ancient stone building. We'd happened upon a Christmas carol concert given by the Langley Park Boys School. There were readings, both biblical and secular. There was a brass band and timpani, strings, and the booming voice of the organ. The choir was good. The music and arrangements of the carols were imaginative and entertaining. And as an audience, we stood several times to sing carols as well. You know, I know it's Advent, but I do love singing carols. And the Christmas season is never long enough to fulfill that need to sing lots and lots of carols. I looked around the church and was heartened to see that no greens had been hung for the occasion as it was still Advent, even though the world thought it was Christmas. And afterwards, I commented to my handsome cowboy, look at all those people who heard the word about the coming of our Saviour tonight who may not have heard it otherwise. True, true, he said. We had noticed several families in our immediate vicinity who were not at home in church. Their children were bored, didn't know the carols, wanted to be on their phones. And yet they were still exposed to the nativity readings and from Luke and a poem by John Betjeman about the true gift of Christmas being in the bread and wine. They heard once in royal David's city, harp the herald angels sing, the holly and the ivy, good King Wenceslas, O come all ye faithful and Gaudate, among other glorious pieces. And they were treated to our good parish priest opening the proceedings with prayer and closing them with a blessing. So we went from six to six hundred 
and from 30 minutes to 70 minutes. Who can complain? There are other Christmas carol concerts in the next few days given by the local junior and infant schools in our sacred building, plenty big enough to accommodate all who wish to attend and far better than a secular hall somewhere. Praise the Lord for our large parish churches originally built in the 11th century as the centre of the village and small town life and persisting in being just that during this magical season in the 21st century. Well, last week after my show, we went to my neighbour upstairs, Flat, for what she called a sit and sip, which meant that we had a glass of wine, which was really nice. And um, as I was looking around her flat, I thought, oh, my gosh, I could actually take everything from her flat and put it down into mine. It's a lot bigger than ours. And it reminded me of a high end apartment in New York City, or should I say a high end penthouse in the West End of London? It was tastefully decorated in neutrals with long drapes and sagging shabby chic furniture, the only thing allowed to sag when you reach our age. And she's decided to remodel or redecorate, as they call it here and as I used to call it in another life. I looked around her spacious lounge and I thought, well, I could buy that, I could buy this and I could buy the other. And my gallant gentleman of a husband has offered to help her sell things on eBay. By things, I mean the two couches because we haven't room for them, already having bought our lovely cream leather ones months ago. For the rest, we've told her that we'll buy anything else she no longer wants. The friendship's an extraordinary one. When I first arrived, she and I went to an art show at the Royal Academy. And while we sat over a sandwich and a cuppa, we found we have so much in common. It's almost as if we'd shared a life. We'd both gone to convent schools, had one younger brother, parents who'd lived abroad. We'd both been to the same recording studio in Surrey, a small private place. We stopped in our tracks. This was getting too uncanny. It seems, it turns out that she was at Ridge Farm 10 years prior to me. For a moment there, we both thought we were going to discover that we already knew each other, but not so. And with that, it looks as though I have come to the end of yet another hour this week. And um, it's time for me to leave you. So we're going to go to our church pantomime tomorrow, not our theatre pantomime, our church pantomime, beauty, no, sleeping beauty. And visiting choirs is what attracted me. And we'll be preparing for our daughter's homecoming next week. I'll be here same time, same place next week. So I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas, the hardworking staff at Tokenet Radio, my guest Steve Richards, and you, my faithful listeners. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for the Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Togi.